Amen. Joshua chapter 8, moving right along. Uh, Verse by verse, chapter by chapter, it's nothing like the Word of God. And we looked at Achan's trespass last week and how it affected and infected the entire community of the children of Israel. Remember, the children of Israel, they were defeated at Ai because there was sin in the camp. Jericho, we have to understand, was devoted to the Lord. It was sort of God's first fruit, and everything belonged to him. And remember, we talked about the progression of sin. It's always the same way. Achan saw He coveted. Because he coveted, he took, and then the cover-up, he thought. He hid it in his tent. They lost that battle, and they didn't understand the reason they had lost the battle. And Yahweh told them, my presence will not be with you until you get rid of the accursed thing. And then he instructs Joshua what to do, because he will always let us know the era of our ways and what we should do in those types of circumstances. So he tells Joshua, bring every tribe out, all of the 12 tribes of Israel, families by families, household by household, and then man by man. And of course, Achan, now I'm It's funny that this rhymes, Achan was taken. And anytime we're in a situation where we're thinking to do something and we know we shouldn't do it, we should have a maybe a tattoo on our arm or something that reminds us that Achan was taken. And then remember, he was stoned. Not only him and his family, and they were burned, but before any of that happened, Joshua told Achan to give God glory. He didn't stop right there because the only way he could have given God glory, he said, and make confession. God is right. You're wrong, Achan. God is always right. And we're always wrong when it, when it comes against his word. So he gave God glory, and it says in verse 26 of chapter 7, So the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Sin always makes a mess. And as I was thinking about that, I remember as a child, and maybe you can remember when you did something wrong and you were punished for it, maybe a spanking. I know it was a spanking in my household because in that time there was no time out. It was time to pull the pants down and get a spanking. And I remember as I would get that spanking, even though I knew it was all right, I had been punished for what I had did had done, and then it would seem like I would always tiptoe around the house for an hour or two and make sure everything was okay. And you know what? That's exactly what Joshua and the children of Israel are doing. They've been spanked. They've been punished. And now they're wondering whether it's consciously or subconsciously, Are we okay with God now? We've sinned. We took of the accursed thing. 
are we really okay with the Lord? Is, is he still on our side? And that's why it says in verse 1 of chapter 8, now, because the, God had not been speaking until they got rid of the accursed thing. Now the Lord said to Joshua, and notice what he says, do not be afraid. The Hebrew word is yare. It can mean a reverential fear, a healthy fear of the Lord. You honor him. Job 28, 28 tells us, and to the man he said, behold, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom, a reverent fear, an honorable fear, and, and to depart from evil is understanding. But when it's used in verse 1, God says, do not be afraid. He's speaking of being terrified. He's speaking of a dread that comes from disobeying God. And that's why God tells Joshua, do not be afraid. You don't have to be frightened. And then he says, nor be dismayed. That word dismayed means to break in pieces, to fall apart. It's like he's saying, no need to have a panic attack or a nervous breakdown, Joshua. I'm with you. You know, God is so aware of our frame. The Lord knows what we need to hear. He knows how to encourage and comfort us. The children of Israel, they are back in fellowship with the Lord. They are once again on the side of his blessings and victory dwells on the side of obedience with the Lord. And so he tells Joshua to take all the people of war with you. Flesh and blood had told Joshua, you, maybe you should take two to 3,000 people up. And we know Joshua, he took the higher number. He took 3,000 up. But God says, take all of them up. And this is why we, it's it paramount that we walk in close fellowship with the Lord. They thought that only a few was needed for the victory at Ai. But I also believe God is teaching them, your ways are not my ways. And you better stay in close fellowship with me in order to be successful in your walk with the Lord. He says, and arise, go up to Ai. See, I have given into your hand the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. So God will give them the city and he does this by setting up an ambush. He will lay out an entire plan, and he will do it in a completely different way than he did at Jericho. God likes us to stay in close relationship with him because he, he, he hardly ever does the same thing over and over again. So he says in verse 2, And you shall do to Ai and his king as you did to Jericho, and its king, only its spoil and its cattle, you shall take as booty for yourself. He says, lay an ambush for the city behind it. If only Achan had waited two or three days, all that he wanted, all that he saw, all that his hands touched could have been his. God has told us in his word, and often yet, he still tells us there are certain things that are his. They're not ours. 
they're devoted to God. They belong to him. And I will determine what to do with them, God says. Sexuality is something that belongs to the Lord. He invented it. He says, it's devoted to me. This is how it's used. This is the context that it's used in. It's used within marriage. God says, I know the purpose of it. This is what it's for. This is how it is enjoyed. This is how and why it is sacred. This is where it belongs. It is not yours. It is not for a culture to tell me when and how we should have sex. He says it belongs to me and it's devoted to me. It's the same way with our sobriety. Every corner now I turn to, it haven't, hasn't hit Georgia yet, but I remember when I was up in Colorado in a different places, every corner you could purchase medical marijuana. And I was thinking, I said, yeah, I, I know my son-in-law has PTSD and he uses it. And my thing is, we, God wants us, his believers, his children to be sober-minded. The government would like for all of us to be high and inebriated and drunk so they can continue to do what they want to in America. But God has called us to be sober-minded. Sobriety belongs to him. He says, I want you to have a sober mind. I want you to be aware of what's going on around you. I'm going to fill you with my Holy Spirit. And your heart, your mind, your intellect should be keen. It should be sensitive to the things that's going around us. It should be discerning. Your sobriety belongs to me. It doesn't belong to you. And we need to remember that, especially as we are raising our kids, Lydia and I, we've raised ours. But as the Lord blesses you parents with children, remember, once again, they're not yours. They're on loan. And one day, God will give, we will stand in front of him and give an account how he raised our children. They belong to the Lord. They're devoted to him. There's a rule book that we must apply to our children's lives. And you know, I never, it never mattered to me when my kids told me that everybody else was doing it. I told them they didn't belong to everybody else. They belong to the Lord and we are stewards over you. And in my house, thus saith the Lord, we're going to do what he tells us to do. And listen, if we do what the Lord has commanded us to do, no doubt about it, we will be blessed. I don't know about you guys, I like being blessed. You know, you can be blessed in trials. You can be blessed in hard times. As long as we're obeying the Lord, we won't regret it. If Achan would have taken this advice within two to three days, he would have been alive and everything he wanted, he could have possessed. So we need to wait on the Lord One thing about God, we don't have to worry about him ripping us off. For you and I in the New Testament, being believers, Paul gives 
the logic of the cross. And that logic is if God has given us his best already, which is his son, he's not going to jip us or rip us off in regards to a job or a mortgage or a husband or whatever. Romans 8.32 tells us he who did not spare his own son. We can't imagine that great sacrifice. He could have stopped it at any time. God is sovereign. He allowed the beatings. He allowed the thorns. He allowed the nails. And he did that all for us, for his children. He remained silent because he loved us. And if you apply that same logic, he's definitely not going to shortchange us in anything. He says, but delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And in the end, he has what's best for every child of God in their lives. It seems at this time that God gave Joshua the entire battle plan, and he begins to work it out. It says in verse 3, So Joshua arose after getting his orders, and all the people of war to go up against Ai. And Joshua chose 30,000 mighty men, a lot more than 3,000, of valor. And notice what it says, and sent them away by night. Joshua does not go up with this 30,000. It's a 15-mile hike from Gilgog to Ai. And it says, and he commanded them, saying, Behold, you shall lie in ambush against the city behind the city, so they will go around on the western side of the city. He says, do not go very far from the city, but all of you be ready. They say in that regions there are large boulders all over the region. So they had plenty areas to take cover at. Verse 5 tells us, Then I and all the people who are with me, a much larger army than the 30,000 he just sent up, will approach the city. So they go right up front. We'll find out on the northern side of the city. And it will come about when they come out against us as at the first that we shall flee before them, for they will come out after us till we have drawn them from the city, for they will say they are fleeing before us as at the first. Therefore, we will flee before them. Then you shall rise from the ambush, the 30,000, and seize the city, for the Lord your God will deliver it into your hand. And it will be when you have taken the city that you shall set the city on fire according to the commandment of the Lord. You shall do, you shall do. See, I have commanded you, Joshua tells them, I'm charging you, this is the game plan. God is saying, you went up before the last time on your own. You did not seek my face. And it was a train wreck. It was a disaster. But now... I'm going to use your failure, and I'm going to bring a victory out of that. That's how God works. That's redemption. That's exactly what it is. We failed. 
We failed on our own to be holy. We failed on our own to be righteous. We failed on our own to be good. We need a loophole, and that loophole is Jesus Christ. And now that we've repented and given our lives to Jesus Christ, we take on his righteousness. Our God is a redeemer. Our God is a reconciler. Our God is a restorer. That's why I love him so much. And he's going to take their failure, and he's going to use it now and turn it into a victory. He says, I want you to go up like you did before, the 30,000 of you, and go behind the city. I'm going to come up in front of it as at the first. And when they see us, they will say, we're going to go out and do to them as we did before. And when we start to run, they will come after us. Then you guys take the city and set it on fire as at the first. How gracious God is. God is taking their failure once again, and he's redeeming it. Please listen, because no one, no one has ever loved us the way God loves us. And, you know, we can struggle with that. God, do you really love me? God, do you care? Look at my life. Look at the situation I'm in. Do you love me? We can get paralyzed by discouragement when we fail or when we sin. We feel terrible because usually we sin against light. We know that we sin and we know better. And sometimes what happens is through our discouragement and condemnation, and always condemnation comes from the enemy, comes from the devil. Conviction comes from the Holy Spirit. But when we are discouraged and when the enemy is condemning us, sometimes we never make any more progress, and that's a shame. That's a shame where we just stop And we never grow and we never take the victory that God has already prepared and given us. And there's something here that God wants us to learn in this message. God will take our failures and he'll use them if we will be obedient and commit ourselves to him. So sometimes there's discouragement from failure. Then sometimes there's fear from the future. And what I mean by that, shall I do this again? Shall I? I've, I've been in a divorce. I've waited. Shall I try being married again? Lord, my heart was broken. My spouse may have cheated on me. Shall I forgive him? Because if I forgive him, Lord, I got to be full bore in. I've got to let those things go. And then I have to build up trust all over again. Shall I do this? And that's how the children of Israel is feeling. And that's why it's so important to hear from God. We shouldn't just step out and do things. 
We should wait on the Lord, continue to wait on the Lord until he speaks to us. But this is a very different circumstance now. Only this time, there's no sin in the camp. They've sought the Lord and they've heard his voice and it's under God's instruction. So the victory, once again, is on their side. He says, I want you to go up and I want you to come against them and we're going to be in front of them. I wonder what would have happened if they would have sought God from the beginning before the first time they went up to Ai. I know they would have, they would have been victorious because they had sought the Lord. But once again, I want to show us, even in our failure, even when we don't do things right, if we go back and seek him, God will be for us. I'll give you an example. I think of Abraham turning away in the drought and going down to Egypt. Remember that, Genesis 12. There was a drought. There was a famine in the land. God had told Abraham Do you you stay right here? I will provide for you. Abraham goes down to Egypt. He shouldn't have gone there. And it was a failure there. But then they return, him and Lot. And the Bible says, when Abraham comes up out of Egypt, I wish to experience this one day, but I doubt if I will until I get to heaven. The Bible says Abraham and Lot was overburdened with silver and gold. Huh. Can you imagine being overburdened with gold these days? That's what it said about the Lord, Abraham and Lot. But my point is, because God had blessed them, there began to be strife between Lot and Abraham, and they went separate ways. And then God could begin to really bless Abraham, even because of his failure. God used failure in Joseph's life when his brothers put him in a pit and he turned it around to preserve not only the nation, but the entire world because the Messiah came through that. And think about Samson in all of his disobedience, how finally after Samson repented, He told the lad to put my hands on the pillars so I can rest there. And then we know the account, he pushes the pillars over and it brought glory to God. That's what he wants. God uses our failures to bring glory to his name. And that's the God we serve. We serve this amazing redeemer who can work redemption even in our failings. So he says in verse nine, Joshua therefore sent them out and they went to lie in ambush and stayed between Bethel and Ai on the west side, there it is, of Ai. But Joshua lodged that night among the people. He does what a good commander always do. He doesn't flee. Hey, you guys go fight. Tell me about it afterward. He stays right there. Then Joshua rose up early in the morning and mustered the people. He counts the people and went up. He and the elders of Israel before the people to Ai. And all the people of war who were with him went up and drew near. And they came before the city and camped 
on the north side of Ai, right in front of Ai. Now a valley lay between them and Ai, so he took about 5,000 men and set them in ambush between Bethel and Ai on the west side, the same side of the city. And when they had set the people, all the army that was on the north of the city and its rear guard on the west of the city, Joshua went that night into the midst of the valley. So he goes into the valley and he draws near to see Ai. And this is a remarkable plan. And the reason it is remarkable is because God gave it to them. You have Bethel on one side. Joshua wants to make sure that while they are fighting Ai, that Bethel and their men won't come out and outflank them. So he sets up ambush for 5,000 just for them. So he hides 5,000 men on the side of Bethel. He puts 30,000 men on the west side, which is higher ground behind the rocks. And then he waits till night. He moves down into the valley And I'm sure he's communing with the Lord all of this time, getting ready for this battle. I don't know if you remember, he's passed now. The general, four-star general, his name was Norman Schwarzkopf. He, he, He was one of the generals in Desert Storm. And he says, the Bible has the best battle plans of any other book. He said, many of his battle plans and their leaders, the generals, comes from the Bible. So he tells us in verse 14, now it happened. So they've made the plan. It's about to have its fruition. Now it happened when the king of Ai saw it, full of confidence and overconfidence, that the men of the city hurried and rose early and went out against Israel to battle. He and all his people at a appointed place before the plain, but he did not know that there was an ambush against him behind the city. And Joshua and all Israel made as if they were beaten. This reminds me of Muhammad Ali when he fought George Foreman and he used that tactic to rope a dope. And George Foreman thought he had him, but he found out he didn't. That's the kind of strategy they're using here. And fled by the way of the wilderness. So all the people who were in Ai were called together to pursue them. And they pursued Joshua and were drawn away from the city. And notice verse 17. There was not a man left in Ai or Bethel. Every one of them came out who did not go out after Israel. So they left the city open and pursued Israel. Verse 18, then the Lord said to Joshua, stretch out the spear that is in your hand toward Ai, for I will give it into your hand. And Joshua stretched out the spear that was in his hand toward the city so that those in ambush arose quickly out of their place. They ran as soon as he had stretched out his hand. Now this should jog our memory because something like this had happened before in Joshua's life. And it's when Moses had sent Joshua to battle the Amalekites. And remember, Moses was on top of the hill. And the Bible says as long as Moses held up his arms, the Israelites won the battle. 
but you know us, we get tired. And then his arms begin to fall and Amalek would begin to win. And so Aaron and her goes up and they hold up Moses' arms. And Joshua was in the valley, in the battle fighting. So while this is going on, Joshua holds up his spear. And I guarantee you, Joshua says, doggone it, isn't God good? He's good. I was being trained in ignorance. When I was doing an understudy under Moses, and Moses would make me do this, and Moses would make me do that, and I really didn't want to do it, God was training me for this. And as I was thinking about that, I had a flashback with my own life. Because when I was about 30 years of age, we did a Bible study at several nursing homes. And of course, we would have to go on Sunday. And it seemed like every Sunday we would go, which was, I think we went on the first and third Sunday, something like that. But every Sunday, the Falcons would be playing. And Anthony would run up and my little son, he was about 13 at the time. He he would say, Daddy, are we still going to go? Are we still going to go? And I said, I guess so. And sometimes, I'm not going to lie, as we're driving, Lydia, myself, Anthony, and Maggie would be with me. I said, doggone it. I got to go do this Bible study. God was training me. We were faithful. I don't think we missed one time. We would go to Winder from Bethlehem, and we would round up the people and bring them into the the, the, uh, feeding room and give Bible studies twice a month for a while, doing things, uh, being a youth pastor and all those things, God was training for this right here. If you're faithful in little, God says you, you will be faithful over much. He was training us. And we're always trained in ignorance. Always. Yes, God shows, tells us to sharpen our weapons sharpen our swords, be ready in season and out of season. We should be doing those things. But there's a time he's training us for who knows what. He does that in ignorance. And that's what he's doing with Joshua here. It says in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, be diligent to present yourselves approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. We should be in the word. We should be in prayer. But most of the time, we are unaware of what degree of how the Lord will use us. So he says in verse 19, the latter part, and they entered the city and took it and hurried to set the city on fire. I'm assuming they did the same thing with Bethel. And when the men of Ai looked behind them, they saw and behold, Consider this, the smoke of the city ascended to heaven, so they had no power to flee this way or that, that way. They're in trouble here. The 30,000 has started burning the city. They're chasing them now. Joshua and his men turn around, and they're in the middle of this. And the people who had fled to the wilderness turned back 
on the pursuers. Verse 21, now when Joshua and all Israel saw that the ambush had taken the city and that the smoke of the city ascended, they turned back and struck down the men of Ai. Then the others came out of the city against them. So they were caught in the midst of Israel, some on this side and some on that side. And they struck them down so that they let none of them remain or escape. But the king of Ai, they took alive and brought him to Joshua. And it came to pass when Israel had made an end of slaying all the inhabitants of Ai in the field, in the wilderness, where they pursued them. And when they all, and when they all had fallen by the edge of the sword until they were consumed, that all the Israelites returned to Ai and struck it with the edge of the sword. So they've killed all of the fighting men, and they go back into Ai, the women, the babies, the animals. Well, they keep the animals for themselves, but the women and the babies, they put to death. So it was that all who fell that day, both men and women, were 12,000, all the people of Ai. I want us to know this is nowhere near the case of slaughtering of the innocents, because it's not. God does everything well. He does everything in his holiness and in his righteousness. God is using the nation of Israel as his rod of judgment against this people here. Remember, God had given them 430 years, the New Testament says. It says in the Old Testament, 400 years, not counting the years of Joseph, but God has given them 430 years to repent of their sins. We serve a long-suffering God. Remember in the book of Revelations, and you come to chapter 16, and you have the battle of Armageddon, and that third angel pours out his bowl of wrath on the rivers and on the waters. And this is what the angel says. You are righteous, O Lord the one who is and who, who was and who is to be. This is why you're righteous, because you have judged these things. For they have shed the blood of the saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink, for it is their just due. God is a holy God. It may seem harsh and it may seem difficult, but once again, I tell you all the time, God judges time morally. He doesn't go by a calendar. When, when the iniquity has come up to his field, Sodom and Gomorrah, America, when it's finally time and, and, he, and he's given chance after chance and, and, and it's completely rotten, then judgment comes because he's a holy God. We should be praying for America. I was talking to someone this morning and we were talking about uh, just how sideways this earth is becoming because of the wickedness of sin. And I believe the vultures, as it says in Revelations, 
are gathering because there's no turning back unless God does something and, and has another great awakening. We should be praying for that. But we should also be lifting up our heads, watching for our redemption because it's drawing nigh. He says in Genesis 15, 16, but in the fourth generation, they shall return here for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. And then he tells us in verse 26, for Joshua did not break, did not draw back his hand with which he stretched out the spear until he had utterly destroyed all the inhabitants of Ai. Only the livestock and the spoil of the city Israel took as booty for themselves, according to the word of the Lord, which he had commanded Joshua. So Joshua burned Ai and made it a heap forever, a desolation to this day. And by the way, In Israel, they still have not discovered this city of Ai. It was so completely destroyed. And the king of Ai, it's funny, they put everyone to death, but I guess they wanted him to see the casualties. And the king of Ai, he hanged on a tree until evening. And as soon as the sun was down, Joshua commanded that they should take his corpse down from the tree. And remember, the hanging of the king of Ai on the tree, that wasn't how he was put to death. They put him to death with the sword, and then they hung him. Deuteronomy tells us when you put someone to death and you would hang that person on a tree, you would have to take them down before nightfall because it tells us, for he who is hanged is accursed of God. And remember, our Savior was hung on a tree, and he became a curse for us. So they do what the word of the Lord says. They take him down from the tree because he had committed crimes against God. And this was the fate of the king of Ai. The king of Ai's problem and all of our problems that sometimes is trying to exalt our throne above God's throne. That was his issue. Jesus says this in Luke 19, 27, but bring here those enemies of mine. Who are the enemies of the Lord? Who did not want me to reign over them and slay them before me. Meek and mild Jesus. When we are defeated, And even in our victories, we have to be careful. Let's make sure we haven't allowed another throne to usurp the throne of God. Achan, he was defeated because there was some other throne that he honored above God. And his throne was a throne of greed. And no doubt it cost him his life. You know, I hear people say, I gave my life to Jesus because I needed fire insurance. And we all can think that at times because none of us want to go to hell. But sometimes we don't really, we don't really want him to be Lord. And that's all of us at times because of emotions and desire, anger are different things. And those are powerful things. 
But when victory finally comes and we come back to our senses, when we realize if we do things the way God wants us to do those things, it's so much better. God says, now you take that throne, that throne that has been keeping you away from me, and destroy it and allow me to sit on the throne of your heart and on the throne of your life. And I will bless you. Even in hard times and difficult times, I will bless you. So they are back in favor with the Lord. And it says at the latter part of verse 29, cast it at the entrance of the gate of the city, the king of Ai's body, and raise over it a great heap of stones that remain to this day. Now, at this point, God, once again, he does something to me that does not make much sense at all, especially in the natural eye. They're fighting. Once again, they have their swagger back. They have their mojo back. You would seem they would go quickly to another city. But God tells Joshua, I want you to go 30 miles from here. Take this trek and go to Shechem because Moses told you to do something that you haven't done yet. I want you to go to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim and do what the servant of the Lord had commanded you to do, Joshua. So they go 30 miles out of the way. Remember, they've got a lot of territory to take. And even though they've just defeated Ai, there's enemies once again all around them. Deuteronomy 27, they were to go to Mount Gerasim and Mount Ebal and make sacrifices to the Lord there. Then they were to take the law of Moses and probably the entire book of Deuteronomy and read it out loud in front of all the people and in front of all of the enemies that's around them. And then on one side of the mountain, on the, on the mountain of Gerasim, the, and it, it's amazing to me because I did a little digging and I looked and I, because I wanted to know which families were on what mountain and on the Mount of Blessings, and I'll have to ask the Lord about this if I get around to it when I get there, they're all Rachel and Leah's children. Now, I'm the type of guy that would say, why do they get on the Mountain of Blessings? But it doesn't matter. It's their kids. Levi, Judah, Issachar, Joseph, and Benjamin. The only one that wasn't on the Mount of Blessing that should have been by this was Reuben. He gets to stay with the concubines. But on the other side is Gad, Asher, Zebulun, Dan, Naphtali, and once again, Reuben. And they were supposed to say amen to the curses. So you have this valley, and you have Mount Gerasim, and you have Mount Ebal, and in the middle was the Ark of the Covenant, and the Levites, and the priests, and a little far up the mountain was these, the, these 12 tribes, children, and they would shout out the blessings. Matter of fact, the cursing comes first. And they would say amen to the cursing. Then they would read chapter 28 of Numbers, the blessings. 
and they would say amen to the blessings. So it says in verse 30, now Joshua built an altar to the Lord God of Israel in Mount Ebal. As Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded the children of Israel, as it is written in the book of the law of Moses, an altar of whole stones over which no man has wielded an iron tool. And they offered on it burnt offerings to the Lord and sacrificed peace offerings. The burnt offerings, remember, was the offering of consecration, an offering that was unique. And the reason it was unique, the entire animal was consumed on the altar. Nothing. And and the worshiper didn't receive anything. And what they were saying is, Lord, with this burnt offering, my entire life, is devoted to you. Use me, do with me whatever you want. I belong to you. It tells us in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, therefore, Paul says, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service, We should regularly remind ourselves of that. And then you would have, they took this peace offering. And the peace offering, I would love that because that's nothing but a barbecue. Matter of fact, the worshiper gets the best part. It gets the breast or the thigh. And you just, you're in communion with the Lord. You're in fellowship with the Lord. You sit right there and you eat that offering. And you know One thing about the Near East, if you eat with someone, you're becoming a part of someone, and that's what's happening here. And it's also an appreciation offering because they're saying, Lord, thank you that you're going to give the Messiah someday for me. Thank you for my redemption. Thank you for this relationship I have with you. He tells us in verse 32, And there in the presence of the children of Israel, he wrote on the stones a copy of the law of Moses, which he had written. Now, some say either way it was a tough task because what they would do with these stones, they would take some kind of limestone or some kind of mortar, and before it would harden, they would write, some say the Ten Commandments, some say the entire book of Deuteronomy. That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of writing. And then me being me, I think, man, I only preached 45 minutes, and that's not long to me. And we're going to find out. We're going to find out that they're going to read the entire book of the law, and it's not a children's ministry in the back. There's not a nursery ministry in the back. Those nursing moms are there with their kids, and all of the children of Israel is there, and they read the entire book of Deuteronomy. You guys got it sweet. You got it sweet. It's amazing. Let's love the word. The word, I tell people, if they give me a minute, the word by the power of the Holy Spirit is what changes a life. That's the only thing that will do it. Verse 33, then all Israel 
with their elders and officers and judges stood on either side of the ark before the priests, the Levites, who bore the ark of the covenant of the Lord, the stranger Rahab and her gang was there by this time, as well as he who was born among them. Half of them were in, were in front of Mount Gerasim and half of them in front of Mount Ebal, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded before they, that they should bless the people of Israel. And afterward, he, he read all the words of the law. He read all the words of the law. He read all the... <laughs> I'm joking with you guys. The blessings and the cursings according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded, which Joshua did not read before all the assembly of Israel, with the women, the little ones, and the strangers who were living among them. Quickly look at verse 30 for me. Notice that the altar was erected on Mount Ebal. Remember, Mount Ebal is the Mount of Cursing. And that just shows us God's grace here. There's no altar on Mount Gerasim. That's the mountain of blessing. The altar is on the Mount of Cursing, and that's where the blood was shed. Hallelujah. He turns that Mount of Cursing even to a Mount of Blessing. And Israel is reminded that In all of their failures, in all of our failures, even in our sin, and even in our transgressions, there's still grace. There's still grace. There is still a sacrifice that was made. So this is a beautiful commitment to the Lord here. The offering of not only, once again, the sacrifices to him, but then having the word of God being read and it's proclaimed publicly to the entire nation, this commitment to God. The worship team can come up. And what I find interesting about the timing of this whole event, they could have did this. After they defeated Jericho, they could have went to Mount Ebal and Mount Gerasim in that valley, but they didn't do that because God is always a few steps ahead of us. God says, no, I want you to go to Ai. God being sovereign says, I want you to go to Ai because I know you knuckleheads are not going to inquire of me. I want you to go to Ai and be defeated. Now that they've come back, And they're in fellowship. They're in communion with the Lord now. God says, now you've tasted victory and you know the means of how to obtain victory. And that's being obedient to me. And you've also tasted defeat. And the means of defeat is disobeying me. And so now they acquire a little of gnosko. And that's not a Mexican bean. (laughs) That's knowledge that is acquired by experience. So they can have a choice now. Isn't God good? 
I can't say all the time. Sometimes I wish that I was a robot and I did everything right. I just, okay, you, you, you wired me to do everything right. But God is not like that. He wants us to prove and show our love to him by being obedient to him. That's the side that the blessings fall, you guys. So remember, stay close to the Lord. Stay in his word because this is instructions here. And we go astray when we're not in his word. He wants to lead us in every endeavor of our lives. He's a good God. Let's pray. Lord, you are an amazing God. I'm amazed how you love us. How you, even in our failures, you still draw us near to you. True, Lord, you want us to walk up right by you. And those you love, Hebrews tells us, you chasten. Every son, matter of fact, it says, you chasten because you love us. And you say, no chasing, chasing is fun when it's happening, but in the end, it, it brings forth the peaceable fruit of obedience. And so, Lord, I pray that all of us here would just totally surrender to you and allow you to have your way in our lives. Though the righteous man stumbles seven times, he gets back up but that we would live in a realm of holiness and bring glory to your name. That's the only way we can bring glory to you, by being the salt and light that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for whatever any of us might be going through, whether it's depression, anxiety, just, a, just whatever is going on in our lives, Lord. Lord, I pray that we would draw near to you, that we would understand that peace, and a sober mind comes from you, that we will seek you with our whole heart, that you hold the future to tomorrow, that we should take one day at a time and not even worry about tomorrow. Enjoy our walk with you. Holy Spirit, would you fill us with your spirit more? Would you allow your spirit to come upon us, to give us just an example sometimes of what eternal life in your kingdom will look like. Lord, you said not a bruised reed or a smoking flax you will, would despise. We're all at different levels. We're all going through different things. But Lord, pour your spirit on us that we may be a joy to you. And if we're a joy to you, we're going to be a joy to those around us. And we ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen. Let's